Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is an interview series in which I talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies, from cult movie directors to character actors, from seasoned veterans to brilliant newcomers, from celebrated artists to filmmakers who haven't received the recognition they deserve. These folks have lots of fascinating stories to tell. For today's episode, I spoke to British director Rocky Morton, the co-director, together with his then-wife Annabel Jankel, of the infamous Super Mario Brothers movie. Released in 1993, this very first video game adaptation was plagued by endless rewrites and heavy studio meddling, so it became almost a cautionary tale, even though the film has a lot more to offer than its reputation would suggest. Before Super Mario, Rocky and Annabelle were also the creators of Max Headroom, the world's first virtual TV host, who became a cult figure with his own music video show, a series, commercials and even a computer game. They shot music videos for the likes of Elvis Costello, The Talking Heads, Rush, The Tom Tom Club and even Miles Davis, and they were also known for their cutting-edge commercials and TV title sequences. Due to the failure of Super Mario Bros., Rocky hasn't directed another feature film since, but he remains very active in the field of commercials. In this Talking Pictures episode, Rocky discusses the process of adapting a video game without a story into a huge Hollywood movie. He talks about many of the problems he and Annabelle ran into while making the film, like receiving a completely rewritten script just a few days before principal photography, or getting locked out of the editing room. Rocky also shares memories of his early career, like getting thrown off the crew of the movie adaptation of Pink Floyd's The Wall, one of his first gigs as an animator, or developing the cyberpunk world of Max Headroom, or creating particularly subversive music videos, including one for the Sex Pistols. This interview is part of a series on video game adaptations, so be sure to also check out the Talking Pictures episodes with Double Dragon director Jim Yukich, with Street Fighter writer-director Stephen D'Souza, and with Mortal Kombat and Wing Commander screenwriter Kevin Droney. If you speak German, there's also episode number 38 of our Lichtspielplatz podcast with in-depth discussions of all these movies. You can find us at TalkingPicturesPodcast.com. So here's Talking Pictures with director Rocky Morton. So when we're talking about Super Mario Brothers, I think that we should sort of move back in time a little bit to understand the era in which it was made. I think that, well, these days it's it's fairly common to have game adaptations and movies and games that have a very close relationship with each other. But back in the days of Super Mario, it was the very first movie adaptation of a game. And I think video games and, and movies were just slowly approaching each other um, in a way you know, with games based on movies and um, movies that sort of dealt with the whole computer scene, like Tron and War Games or The Wizard. So my first question would be, um, did you follow this kind of relationship between games and movies? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in um, computer graphics and gaming and ev everything to do with um, computer technology. You know, I was an early adopter of um, of, of all sorts of um, computers. In, fa in fact, I, um, I wrote a book on computer graphics because I had such a collection of images and and everything, and uh, and I started to make films in that space. You know, using computer technology, um, uh, you know, as a filmmaking tool. You know, one of the first to do that especially in the commercial arena and music videos. So to me, 
it wasn't even a thought of whether this was going to merge. It was like it already merged. So in my mind, you know, it's it, it's uh, you know that there isn't much difference in my mind between a video game and and certain types of movies anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like the next step for you in that sort of evolution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, but it wasn't like a step to me, mm -hmm. you know. It seemed it seemed like an I was already kind of doing it in a way, you know. Mm -hmm. I see. It, it's kind of odd that Super Mario Brothers was the first movie to be made out of a computer game because, um, I mean, Super Mario doesn't really have a story, um, or the world of Super Mario doesn't really have a story. So, yeah. w was that to you? Was that a problem, or did you see that as an opportunity? It was, a, it was both a problem and an opportunity. And the way I saw it was because there was no story, there were just a bunch of characters that that didn't really, I mean, related in the game, but didn't really make any sense as a story. Um, I wrote it backwards as, as, if, as if there really was a story. And the game makers, you know, interpreted the story that was our invention mm -hmm. um, as a game. And produced it as a game, so it was done in reverse. Did you play the Super Mario games at all? Oh yeah, yeah. I had two young kids, and I was very aware of of Super Mario Brothers. But you know, the as far as a, a story was concerned, I mean, it was exciting to play back then. But um, as far as any kind of story, narrative, or meaningful characterization, it didn't exist. Mm. And I think a lot of people, you know, got upset with, with, with the story that we came up with because it wasn't how they imagined it in their minds, this story, that didn't exist. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I imagine it's kind of difficult to create something out of nothing in a way uh, to fill that world that doesn't exist. Like, um, back at the time, there were a lot of computer games that would have been much more appropriate, I think, Maybe appropriate is not the right word, but which would have lent itself much better to an adaptation because they had a story and because they had um, kind of like a, a, a world that you could turn into a movie. Whereas Super Mario, I think, is more of a cartoon um, reality in a way. Did you approach it as a cartoon or um, how did, no, how did you see that? Well, when you say cartoon, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it... it in a way, it already looks like a cartoon, like an animated thing, you know, like, um, I don't know, like a Roadrunner or Tom and Jerry cartoon. Um, right. It already has yeah. that look. Um, and yeah. also the way that, you know, the, the reality of it, you know, there is no real physics in the game or the physics aren't really, don't have much yeah. to do with our world, this kind of thing. Yeah, the, the physics was a problem for me. <laughs> But... Uh... <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so I try, I just tried to retroactively fit the story, you know, that that's all in, into these, you know, couple of plumbers um, from Brooklyn and, and tried to imagine, you know, how they ended up in, in this world that, that the game was a parody of of my story in, as a film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, complex. <laughs> um, 
I was also thinking because, well, these days, if you make a film out of a video game, then you have a lot of films that you can look at and, you know, say, okay, this worked and this one didn't work. And, you know, we're going to do it like uh, Paul Anderson did with Resident Evil and we're not going to do it like Uwe Ball did with Alone in the Dark, for example. Um, But you didn't have that luxury. You just sort of didn't have any sort of reference points. Um, no, we just invented it from from nothing. Did you have any reference points outside of the the, the gaming world, like other movies or none whatsoever? I mean, if you look at the film, it's unique. Yeah. Um, and uh, because there was nothing like it before, you know. I mean, what I'd done previously was Max Headroom, and that was the same thing. Before Max Headroom, there was no artificial intelligence character on the TV. Uh, and the same with Super Mario Brothers. Max was a huge success, but Super Mario was uh, a, a disaster, a failure. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think it was a glorious failure. <laughs> you know, the main reason it was it was a failure, though, was because of the the rewrites, the constant rewrites Mm -hmm. because of the nervousness of the producers and the fear um, that they wouldn't be able to sell such a dark movie. So it was constantly what I, what I I used to call it de-written. It was constantly (laughs) de-written. So the, the bar was lowered and lowered and lowered. And um, also with, with each writer that came on, because there was a complexity to the, story they didn't really get it and they were just like writing series of gags in the end you know like like you know like the guys running into a sheet of plate glass i mean i Mm. had to shoot that but i knew it was just stupid Mm. but i was forced to shoot it and there were there were all these gags in it and and it was just embarrassing to me to have to shoot (laughs) this shit but i did you know because it, I, I thought in some naive way I could somehow save the movie and the edit, but it was impossible mm-hmm. because the the script was so different from our original story, which actually made sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not going to go in to make a movie that doesn't make sense, even though we ended up with a movie that didn't make sense. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I know. The, the, the scene with the plate of glass is a real groaner. That's like, oh, okay. Oh, it's just <laughs> I mean, and I was for, literally forced to shoot it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your your original vision for the film? Um, and what, what were the parts that sort of were forced upon you that you just had to add or had to deal with? Well, I wanted to make an emotional film about the relationship between two brothers, you know, and, and the older brother, they didn't, they, they, they lost their parents and the older brother had to bring up the younger brother, had to be the mother and the father to Luigi. And I thought that was tender and that was interesting and that would relate to a lot of people. And then, you know, you know, eventually Luigi had to think for himself and he had to break mm-hmm. his bond with his elder brother. And even though that upset Mario and he was, you know, distraught by that, um, he had to let Luigi go. And that was the heart of the movie. And that was the movie I wanted to make. And, and Dick Clements and Ian Lafrene 
were the only writers that we work with that understood that and got that and wrote that. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful story. And it was an adult theme as well. We wanted it we wanted it to appeal to the whole family. We wanted the parents to enjoy this as well as the kids enjoying the colour and the action and all the rest of it. We wanted the whole family to enjoy this film. And we obviously wanted it to make sense because <laughs> we're rational human beings. <laughs> But when you're in a situation, you know, a week from principal photography and you've got all the sets built and you've cast the entire movie and the script comes in and it doesn't make any sense, what do you do? Do you walk away and never work again in Hollywood? Mm. Uh, you know, because you walked away from this huge movie and, and left them in the shit? Or do you soldier on and think you can somehow fix it as you're going on, which, which naively and unfortunately we did? Mm. So, you know... That, that's that's what happened. But the movie we wanted to make, um, what was this family film that was that was a little bit dark, you know, I have to admit, you know, they go into this world that was um, the, the parallel universe that was like like our world, but uh, it evolved dinosaurs and and they had a dinosaur mentality in the world that they built a bit like, you know, certain aspects of our world are like that. <laughs> you know? And, um, you, you know, I, I thought that was interesting. And the script was great, you know, and, and all those actors, all those great actors read that script and signed on because that script was so good. And then there were all sorts of, you know, nervous tensions and, you know, everybody kind of like, pa- pa- it's just absolute panic <laughs> um, because they they needed more money to finish the film and all the studios were saying, you know, the script is too dark. So then it got de-written, de-evolved. <laughs> what's the percentage we would say, um, what's left of your original vision of your film that you wanted to make? Um, in the script, probably 40%. Oh, okay. And then the visuals, the visualization, probably 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, it's hard to say really in percentages mm. because there are a lot of other factors involved, like being locked out of the editing room, mm. you know, just, just that alone mm. uh, made it, it very difficult and uh, the mess that they got into in the edit because the, the script, you know, the, 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 what we were filming didn't match anything because I, you know, I was desperately trying to rewrite it and make, make it better. So it got very, very confusing and very messy. So that would have been one of my questions too. So you weren't involved in the post-production process at all? Well, I tried. And I tried to convince the editor to use digital technology to edit it so we could move faster. But he insisted on using film. He didn't know how to use, you know, Mm. uh, (laughs) he didn't know how to use digital editing. He was old school. And I kept saying, just get get a kid in here that knows how to do this and I'll be able to edit this stuff like that. But it was all looking through the negative strips of film like this hanging in strips of films hanging in bins. You know, like we've mm. been doing for years, but the the new technology was for a film that big. There were five units shooting 
simultaneously. So the mm-hmm. amount of material that was coming in every day was colossal, and they and they were cutting strips of film together and sticking it together with with scotch tape. I mean that you know that slowed it down, and 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 then for me to come in and say no, that doesn't work. Okay, we're gonna have to re-edit. They had to peel all the tape back off the mm-hmm. film and recut, and then find all the trims, stick all the trims back together on the film, and then start to re-edit it. And that's just the picture. The sound is even more complicated. Mm. So, you know, I'd go in the trailer every night after a hard day's work, you know, supervising five units, and then try and edit this film in this, you know, snail pace, uh, which I wasn't used to, because I'm used to cutting commercials digitally by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, and then, and then all day long, the producers would come in while I was shooting and then edit it all back again. Yeah. So I'd come in the, again the next night, and it would all be put back together. I said, well, what's happened? And they said, well, oh, the producers want it like this and want it like that. I said, well, no, it's got to be like this. And then, you know, in, in the end, <laughs> I, I, you know, it was, it was pointless. Mm. And I just had to let them, you know, tape it together. It was, it was horrible. It was a horrible, expe- horrible experience. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you think that was because they were um, so nervous? Because also they didn't have any kind of reference point um, what this film would be? Um, yeah. It was a combination of three things. A combination of not really understanding what the fuck I was doing. What the fuck this whole shit was all about. That it was a video game. And I was trying to do something really imaginative and different. And, uh, you know. And complete fear of the industry that they were all saying the the script's too dark and we're not going to give you any, any you know we're not going to invest in, in in your in your movie and 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 three them thinking that because they were looking at the dailies and seeing these visuals that had never seen anything like it before thinking this is going to be the biggest hit ever <laughs> like really excited at the same time as completely nervous and in complete fear <laughs> It, it 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 was it was mad it was madness it was madness. Well, in a way, it's a it's it's a miracle that actually there is a, a finished movie um, from that kind of experience. Yeah. It really is. The behind the scenes movie would be a much better film. So, were you involved in the in the music selection? Um, oh my god! They tried to get <laughs> McCartney. I said, Paul McCartney? What? He must be joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was... Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with the music. I, I gave them all sorts of suggestions. I wanted, I wanted Sonic Youth to do a song, and uh, mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I wanted it to be a whole sort of post-punk, new wave kind of uh, a, a more electronic sound you know mm-hmm. uh, I, i wanted people like eno to be involved and stuff like but they didn't even know who these people were mm. and if they'd heard the music they would just be they would just be gagging that, that you know that this stuff is just really bad music <laughs> their tastes were really prosaic and it was just the music was impossible it was impossible just the music alone could have been an incredible part of it mm-hmm Yeah, well, instead they got Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch and um, the Roxette theme song and everything. So, yeah. (laughs) 
it, it didn't have it didn't have what, anything. Uh, did, did you have anything to do with Alan Silvestri's score? Yeah, I went along to it, but you know the producers were there again, and all my suggest. I, I tried to strip it down and make it, you know, and he had a full fucking orchestra there, you know, playing it to the to the pig to the picture that didn't make any sense to anybody. <laughs> and I tried to strip it down, but nobody was interested in that. You know, it, it's finding an instrument that would be like Luigi's instrument and, and an instrument that would be Mario's instrument. And then, you know, trying to find electronic landscapes um, for it. But, but of course, you know, again, I, I didn't have enough control to be able to, to get that across. Mm -hmm. Do you feel when you look at it from today's perspective um, that you could have done anything differently? Like you could have fought more for certain elements or you could have just, you know, as you I said, maybe walked, walked away. away. I should have I should have walked away. There was one phone call. I was I was in um in uh in uh, Carolina building the sets, finishing them off, and Annabelle was in Hollywood casting some of the smaller roles. And we had one phone we, the script came in and we both read it and, and we had this one phone call, sorry. Well, we said to each other, that's it. We just got to walk. It's just ridiculous. And then we had this deep, com deeper conversation about, well, we want to continue to make other films. You know, we don't want to get a reputation for, you know, for, for doing this, walking away from something that's, you know, just about to um, first day of principal photography, go into principal photography. Um And uh, in the end, we said, well, maybe we can save it as, as we're shooting. And, you know, apart from Max, Head, Max Headroom and DOA, I mean, it was like we didn't have that much experience um, uh, as, as, as feature filmmakers. And, you know, it, it, I mean, it was, De it was Dennis Hopper that said to me, he said, Rocky, if it's, if it's not on the page, it's not on the screen. Because I would explain to him the backstory and, and you know and, and, and the original script and all the rest of it. And he said, "Racky, if it's you know if it's not on the page, it's not on the screen." And, and I and that was sort of halfway through shooting the film, and then I realized, you know, he's absolutely right. You know, you've got to you've got to you, you got you've got to put it all in the script for that kind of film. I mean, you can do other films where you have great actors and you can improv and you know, shoot lots of coverage and put it together, you know, if it's, a, if it's that kind of story and that kind of thing. But um, for an action film, you know, of, the, of this sort, for, for, for action adventure, you really have to nail the script before you go into shooting mm. for that genre. Yeah. And most writers will tell you that's, the, you know, action adventure is one of the most difficult genres to pull off. Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of hard to find the balance for that kind of story. Um... Yeah, because, you, you know, you've got, to have, you've got to have a through line, you've got to have character development, you've got to have the adventure, you've got to have the action, you've got to have comedy, you've got to have it all. And it's all got to make sense. And mm. it's all got to flow, you know. 
um, it's it's really hard. And and I think these, you know, I I have the opposite view of Scorsese as these uh, Marvel films. I think these Marvel films are absolutely incredible. Mm. They really are amazing pieces of filmmaking because I know how difficult that is. Mm. And they really pull it off, you know. Scorsese's just been making the same film over and over. <laughs> He's complaining about Marvel films, which are truly inventive masterworks of, of <laughs> art and invention. Yeah, well, that's a that's a much bigger discussion, I guess, about the current state of cinema and everything. But <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, in, in terms of the the, the, the creativity and the. the just the accomplishment, the technical accomplishment of yeah. telling a story that sort of pulls people into the the world. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really hard to do, and, uh, you know, they do it. It's great. But they, they, they their scripts are so tight, mm -hmm. so tight, and they, and they work so hard on those scripts before they go into shooting. Mm. But I think that's one of the... the the biggest joys of, of the Super Mario film is the world that it portrays. Yeah. Um, like I find it so exciting to just watch the world and I always, I, I, I don't even pay that much attention to the story or to the dialogue um, because I always feel, okay, there's something going on in the background. Okay, there is some kind of idea, you know, that the whole design of it, like the, the Cooper campaign posters where you have Dennis Hopper with a chainsaw on one uh, poster and the other one where he's kissing a kid, re-elect Cooper. Um, right. So I think in, in that sense, it's a, it's a really fully developed world that I just, I would love to see more of, you know, I would love to dive into and, and uh, sort of explore uh, in a much deeper fashion. Yeah, well, there was a lot more of that going on in the original scripts. You know, it, it was mm -hmm. it had a lot of commentary on uh, the politics of the time and uh, society and, uh, you know, Americana <coughs> culture, American culture. Um, But that got kind of glossed over and lost a bit. Well, totally. <laughs> But you saw it there with the, you know, mm -hmm. Cooper and chainsaw and kissing the baby. It's like, yeah, you saw little elements of it in, in there, you know. And and uh, you know, and all the, like all the vehicles were electric because it was forbidden to use ancestors' ground-up bones as as pros processed into gasoline for gasoline oh. engines. Okay. It's <laughs> <was> electric. <laughs> See, that didn't even, you know, there was a scene. There was a scene in the movie where that was explained, but it didn't, mm. get, it didn't get in there. Oh, it's too bad because it has all these things yeah. at the at the at the edges in, yes. in a way. Things right, yeah, at right. The edges of the frame. Um, <laughs> also, these little jokes with with Cooper, um, sort of where he orders the pizza and he's like really getting mad because he doesn't get his pizza on time. Um, it's kind of like always, there's a very fun way of turning things upside down in a way. I mean, he's like the, you have this scene where um, a Spike and Iggy, where they say he's an oppressor of the proletariat and a dictator. And he says, guy in charge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Where have we seen that before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. very topical in a way. And then he has problems ordering a pizza, so <laughs> this 
So, um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a stupid question when I say, how did you feel about the negative reaction? But um, um, I was surprised. Sort of how, did you, how did you deal with the negative reaction to the film? I was surprised, actually. You know, um, they really went for it. Um, and, and I think what was at the base of it all was the fact that mums and dads, uh, which the, most of the journalists were at the time, uh, were really um, couldn't understand why their kids were obsessed with these video games and spending so much time playing video games. And there really was a strong movement to, to try and, you know, deal with with the problem of of video games and the amount of time that kids were playing playing them. So there was already this anger. And then for the arrogance of Hollywood in their minds, the arrogance of Hollywood then to try and turn this piece of shit that's ruining our, our kids' lives into a movie, and then we have to drag our kids to the movies to watch it again on the big screen is like a complete insult to us and American families. And I think that's how a lot of journalists kind of um, saw it, you know? And I think we were just the, the brunt of it all, and we were the whipping boys for it. I think if it had come out, uh, you know, maybe a few years later or earlier or something, I, I don't know, it would have been different, but it was just right at that moment. Mm. Yeah, I guess in a way also nerve. because you were the first. Yeah, we were the first, and, and, and you know, it's never good to be the first in anything. Don't invent anything. Just just copy other people's ideas. And you'll be much more successful. <laughs> Don't be an original. That's what I tell. That's what I tell versioning filmmakers that I meet. <laughs> Steal. It's easier, <laughs> and you'll be more successful. Yeah, it's true. It's like also in music, the pioneers are usually the ones that aren't in the history books. It's usually somebody who sort of takes that and sort of does something else with it and then you know the, the pioneers or the originators are usually forgotten in a way that's right i mean steal de delta blues and turn it into british pop rock you know mm. so um i mean there, there there have been quite a few um video game and computer game adaptations since super mario brothers did you follow any of them did you watch them and, and see how they were doing uh Not really. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of lost interest in the whole thing after the humiliation of the of the project, um, and I put all my energies into making TV commercials and building a commercial production company. Um, and uh, I've I've been I've been developing scripts and stories and you know stuff, but um, the whole idea of of, of doing a Hollywood movie, you know, with Hollywood producers and all the rest of it, just just does, doesn't really appeal to me. But, uh, you know, I'm still a filmmaker. I'm still an artist. I paint, I sculpt, you know, and, and I make these little films called commercials, which, which I enjoy doing. And um, so, you know, and I, and I have got other projects going, but um, the big Hollywood film... <laughs> After that, doesn't appeal. Mm, I see. Did you have any other projects in the pipeline back then? Um, loads. That... <laughs> loads. The phone <laughs> stopped ringing. Mm. 
it literally did. I mean, it's a cliche, but it but it did. You know, CAA fired us and my agent. You know, we were fired because that, but what happened was we came back to LA after um, the 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 film. Um, what stage was it at now? I can't remember. But anyway, we, we were back in LA and there was this article written and it was in the um, calendar section of the LA Times, which is the industry section of the LA Times. And I think Dennis Hopper had a lot to do with it. And it was just a big, like, how, what a disaster this film was and how out of control the directors were. Mm. And it was all their fault and it was just a mess and blah, blah, and blah, and this, that, and the other, and, you know. And uh, the CAA, the agency, read this article and then, you know, literally fired us, dropped us. And then the phone just didn't ring. It was like, couldn't get meetings. It was like, it was, it was just over. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy business. It kind of reminded me of um, the story of Heaven's Gate, the Michael Cimino film, where also yeah. just at one point they, there was an article where they said, oh, the production is out of control. Yeah. Um, and this is going to be the worst movie ever. And, you know, the, the kind of thing that journalists usually write. Yeah. Um, and from that point on, I think that it was an uphill battle to uh, just, you know, deliver yeah. a movie that people would want to see because everybody was waiting for it to fail. And it's such a beautiful film. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, I know. But, uh, you know, I didn't get a sex change. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't, it didn't drive me that crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, Evansgate got re rehabilitated, I guess. Um, got some recognition like uh, 20 or 30 years later. And I think Super Mario is also getting some attention yeah. these days. You know, with the with uh, guys from the fan page who are trying to do this extended cut. Right. Um, Well, the irony is that uh, a lot of people that I meet now that, that are, I guess are in their are in their thirties, really, um, when they were kids and saw the film, they they literally come up to me and say, "Rocky, this is this is my favorite film from when I was a kid," huh. and I've had that so often. They just thought that it was the most incredible film ever, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So there was something there that these these Kids were picking up on, but adults weren't. Mm. But I think kids were picking up on something. Um, you know, like you were saying, the essence of it, the stuff that's happening on the edges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so maybe there'll be some kind of new appreciation for the movie, even though it's not entirely what you intended. But still, I mean, I'm also hoping that the, the podcast we're making and the article we're doing that this will also bring people to, you know, give it another, give it another look and, and, you know, just see what you've been trying to do. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to go back a little bit because you were already saying you were starting out with music videos and animations and everything. So, um, if you got a little bit more time left and I'd like to talk about the early stages of your career, because I feel that a lot of that has to do with, Uh, what ended up ended up in, in Super Mario Brothers? But first of all, can you can you tell me a little bit about your background? I mean, how did you got interested in, in animation? How did you become a music video director? Well, what happened is um, 
my whole as a as a kid i was always painting and drawing and you know sculpting making little characters and all doing all sorts of creative stuff like that and i came from a english working class background so my future was like either join the army or work in a factory you know and then at school i was in the school library one day and i looked at this section called further education it was a shelf about five feet long <laughs> with these a few little pamphlets in there and one of the pamphlets was art school you know and i, I didn't even know art schools existed <laughs> and uh and then I, re I read this pamphlet and it was like you can go to art school you can like draw and paint and like you know the government will pay for this to happen <laughs> after you leave school and uh and uh so you know i told my art teacher and he said well you've got to get a portfolio together and i did that and i went to art school and i wanted to be a painter and a sculptor and then um after um my foundation year I started to look at painting schools and other types of schools that did sculpture and everything. And I came across this one art school and it had an animation course. And I think they'd found it very difficult to get students involved in animation because one, one, it's really hard, you know, to back in the day before computers, you have to draw every frame, you know, and you had to be able to draw or, or, or you had to be able to somehow create stuff, you know, in front of a rostrum camera frame by frame. And it was laborious. And I was sort of fascinated by the technology of it, you know, when they showed me the camera, the rostrum camera and everything. And they, and they and I said, well, I'll give it a year. I'll try, you know, I'll see what I can do. So I can do something with, with, with this, whatever, this animation thing. So I did. And then once I started to see my work emerge, um, as a moving image, not static, you know, putting layers and layers together or multiple drawings or, or tabletop stuff, which is what I did as well. Or even I, I did it with the students, with human beings. I, you know, I got them out in the park and I did one frame at a time and moved them one frame at a time, you know, freezing cold English winters. Um, uh, so, I, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the process of animation. And then, um, and then I, I left art school and, and, and moved to London and tried to get a job in, in um, animation. And I got a job with Pink Floyd uh, doing the wall film, mm -hmm. all the hammers, you know, those hammers and everything and the, the build, building the bricks and all that stuff. And, um, and then um, they fired me because <laughs> I, was, I was kind of disruptive. <laughs> How so? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Sid Barrett, you know, and, uh, you know, the guy that started the Pink Floyd. Yeah. And I was always making snide comments about <laughs> Sid Barrett and stuff. Anyway, they, they, they fired me and I thought, fuck them. I'm going to start my own company, which I did. And uh, I'd, I'd saved 200 pounds from Pink Floyd. And I, and I invested that into starting my own company with a friend of mine. And um and we started by making an, animated and live action mixed films on 16 millimeter that we projected behind friends of mine that were in punk bands. Mm -hmm. And it was one, one band in particular called The Table. And I did this film called The Standing Still. And uh, it used to get, uh, uh, they, they used to, the, the audience would uh, insist on an encore, but not for the band, but because they wanted to see the film again. <laughs> 
Or the band must have loved you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they dropped me eventually. <laughs> uh, and then, and then that led into music videos, you know, and uh, and then and then commercials, and also the emergence of computer graphics. I was always trying to incorporate that. And the first time I incorporated it was a was an Elvis Costello music video called Accidents Will Happen. And I think that was the first time computer graphics was ever used in, in, a, in a music video. And uh, it, it was in its infancy. And what I liked was, was the fact that the, the computer was struggling to create these images and making all these kind of like digital mistakes. And I was relying on that and, and I enjoyed that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know... And we were, you know, the computer was plotting things out on on cells to start off with. And then I was shooting off an oscilloscope, a screen about, you know, sort of four inches square. Um, because that's, you know, it was, it was reading the images out on an oscilloscope. Um, and, and then it gradually got better and better. And I, and, and I eventually I went to um, New York Institute of Technology because they had the biggest computer in the world to to create a commercial for Pirelli tires where we created everything as a CGI model. I think it was the first time it was ever done. And it was 100% computer graphics imagery in this one commercial. Um, And then, you know, then it evolved from there. And then eventually did Max Headroom. And then Max Headroom Mm. made, made this film. And that brought me to Hollywood. And then they were all excited. And I did DOA with... Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan with my partner, Annabelle Jankel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we thought this is it. We're gonna, <laughs> and then Super Maribos came along and I said, yes, this is going to be such, this is, this is it. This is the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that when you, look at, when you look at Max Headroom, um, I think that it has a lot to do with Super Mario Brothers, just the world that you're sort of creating, I feel that in the in the world of Super Mario, Max Headroom wouldn't be out of place. If there was a screen in Super Mario and Max Headroom would pop up and, you know, sort of comment right. on what is going on, the kind of satirical dystopian view of, of a society that is also, you know, just very, it, it's not too serious. It's just it's having fun with its, with its kind yeah. of vision. So yeah. I feel... After I watched Max Headroom, I thought a, a lot of of the decisions in Super Mario made sense to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it would do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, that was more the kind of adult world that we were that we were going for. You know, a little bit more sophisticated mm. than than the product that was that it ended up being. Yeah. When you created Max Headroom, um, did you talk a lot about um, where technology is headed? Yeah, well, that's what it was all about. I mean, there was no internet. Well, I mean, there was rudimentary internet, but mm. it was only amongst scientists and and uh, universities uh, and the military. But um, there was no real internet. And, you know, we created this world where the internet existed mm. and people were communicated, communicating through the computer like we are now. But it was unimaginable back then. Mm. I mean, there's literally a scene like like this where he's talking to him on yeah. a, a computer screen, 
And I remember filming it and people thinking, well, what's this scene all about? You know, like, <laughs> they kind of, they couldn't relate to it in a sense, you know? Mm. Yeah, when you look at it now, it's almost more relevant, I think, because this this world where, you know, everywhere you go, there is a screen and um, you sort of, you never turn that thing off. Um, it's just always on and you're always watching things and there's always something yeah. on screens around you. Um I mean that's an experience that everybody has today. Yeah. That's the, what I the said. Screens to the look different, director. of course, but I remember saying to the art director, you know, the the TVs are just going to be on all the time. He said, "Yeah, but people will turn them off." I said, "No, there is no off button. You don't understand. <laughs> there is no off button. They're just on." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was made during a time when there was no twenty-four hour TV, and you didn't have like a thousand TV stations and everything, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I, I watched some of your music videos and thought that they sort of developed those ideas that went into Max Headroom and, and Super Mario. Um, like you have the one for, for Annabelle's uh, brother, for Chaz Janko, the questionnaire video. Yes. Um, where you have the computerized head um, you know, with, with right. a green grid on it and the, the yeah. lips that are glowing. Um, but I think those are just light effects, right? Yeah, they're light effects, but it does it does convey it does convey a sort of a, a future a futuristic kind of imagery really. Mm. Which is which is something that's always fascinated me. Um I'm so su I'm surprised that films aren't more futuristic because of the technology that we have, you know, that that there, there, there aren't more films that are that go into the kind of the abstract world of of artificial intelligence, for instance. You know that we're not inside that. Uh, you know, like a film where we're inside AI. Mm. I don't. Well, maybe, maybe I don't. People are just probably not ready for it. It's it would probably freak people out, and they would, wouldn't understand it. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's still a concept that goes over people's heads in a way. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, you know how many people watched The Matrix and were sort of like, I didn't really understand what was going on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Um, even though, again, it's a kind of concept that is very common these days. I mean, everybody has a kind of virtual avatar these days. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you feel, okay, if... if if they're being automated, then you would have a Max Headroom kind of character. You know, if my Facebook profile would start to do things without my knowledge or without my um, giving it commands, then you would have a Max Headroom uh, version of me in a way. Yeah. Well, I, I think we will in the future. I think we will have multiple versions of ourselves, you know. Mm. And is, you know, you can cope with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, what I also like about Max Headroom, and I think that also applies to uh, Super Mario, is there's a kind of subversive um, quality to it. Um, I mean, the Max Headroom show was very subversive. You had this um, uh, this segment where it says, well, the, the, the award for the worst commercial this season goes to, and then there's the commercials. <laughs> uh, was Max Headroom, in a way, a kind of alter ego for you to comment on you know, the, the kind of commercial world that you were, um, most that you were working in? Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, that was the, uh, well, the, yeah, the whole world, the whole, uh, the, 
the commercialized world that, that we live in, you know, comment on that, you know, that that's what it was all, all about. And, you know, like people are, they're transfixed to the screen, they're transfixed to Facebook and they're voting, being influenced by what they see on their Facebook pages. You know, I mean, it's just we're, we're entering into that world and it's it's kind of insane. And what you end up with are people like Trump and Boris Johnson and stuff. You know, I mean, that's all you deserve <laughs> if, if if you believe this shit. You know, mm. it's incredible technology we have to do the most inc- to connect all our minds together for for the benefit of of the planet and mankind. It's there, a gift <laughs> for us. And what do we do with it? You know, this is what we do with it. So that's that. You know. That interests me a great deal. Yeah, I just saw a, a, a saying the other day, like a, a joke where it says, okay, we used to think that uh, problems in the world existed because people didn't have access to information. And now that we have the internet, we know that wasn't the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the problem is us. Yeah. <laughs> is the fact that we don't look inwards, we look outwards and we're driven by our egos and we're not driven by something deeper inside us that's connected to everything that that's that's the main problem and it's Mm. disconnecting us you know and our ego loves all this shit you know and uh, so you know it flatters our ego and stimulates our ego so we kind of like we leave the important thing behind which is our spirit, ourselves, and our connection to this world that's disintegrating in front of our very eyes. Mm. Yeah, everybody's sort of becoming the star of their own show, in a way. Yeah. The the star of their own Max Headroom show. (laughs) It's so fucking banal, I I can't take it. It's it's unbelievable. And that's sort of what it's about, yeah. Mm. There's also another video that you made... um, which is also very subversive. That's one of my absolute favorite music videos of all time. That's the Stitches uh, music video for Orgy. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you saw that. Not many people have seen that. Yeah. yeah. Really? No, I love that one. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, was, a, I was an Orgy fan um, back when the band started out. And, oh, okay. Um, just, I thought that music video was really brilliant. Um, the record company was so upset with that video. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because the, the concept of the video, and they loved the concept, was I wrote this treatment. The concept was I'm going to shoot everything to do with the video, but not the band. Okay. I would shoot <laughs> cables, <laughs> you know, the electricity cables that you need to power the lights to shoot the video. Uh, you know, I'm going to shoot the director. You know, I cast as the director. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot all the periphery things. And the band is going to be in this box, just in this glass box. <laughs> uh, and they, they, and they, they looked at it. And they, they were absolutely appalled by the video. <laughs> and the, the head guy said, send over all the dailies. I'm going to re-edit this myself. You know, where's the close-up of the drummer? <laughs> so we sent all the dailies over, and there were no close-ups in the da- <laughs> Apart from the close-ups of them just standing there with their name tags, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> But the band was was behind the concept, right? Yeah, everybody was until they saw it. Okay. 
I guess they were expecting some kind of behind the scenes approach when you say yeah, you yeah, shoot but... everything that has to do with a music video that sounds like okay we're gonna see you know yeah. technicians and cameras and stuff so <laughs> shot of following a cable across the floor <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah I always I always loved the, the shot with the youthful image that was fantastic <laughs> and of course the director's fee yeah <laughs> um and i was like i was 21 when that video came out and you know i wanted to be a filmmaker too and i saw that pile of cash and i was like oh my god i want to be a music video director <laughs> yeah. i did one for the sex pistols which was um the first uh i wrote the treatment and it was like this is going to be the first text-based uh, music video. It was it was for when they um, it was for when they re-released Pretty Vacant mm-hmm. as a single, and uh, so I wrote this treatment and everything. And the, and it was it was a discussion between two punks, one in London and one in uh, New York, They're having an email conversation. And it was just a bunch of emails backwards and forwards about you know, what the origin of punk was and what they thought about the Sex Pistols and blah, 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 and how, you know, the music is relevant or irrelevant now, you know, since, since the explosion of punk and all the rest of it. And it was just going to be just this text to, to the soundtrack of Pretty Pink. And they all loved it, you know. And they could, and the record company calls me up and, said, and says, oh, we want, we want you to go over to Finland to, to you know, shoot the Sex Pistols. They, they're going to, they, they've got a gig over there. And I said, well... Um, not really, because it's a text-based video. Didn't you read the treatment? <laughs> and I said, yeah, Rocky, we love the treatment. Treatment's fantastic. But just go over there and uh, meet the sex video. <laughs> <laughs> so I went there, and I deliberately didn't take a camera. <laughs> 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 so I met the sex pistols, and I hung out with them in Finland. <laughs> and then they call me up again and say, well... You know, and, and you know, where's the footage? I said, well, I didn't take a camera. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, I said, uh, you know, it's a text-based video. Didn't you read the treatment? I said, oh yeah, we love the treatment. <laughs> I said, where are you now? I said, I'm in London. And I said, well, they're going to be playing at Finsbury Park, and and you really have to shoot them this time. <laughs> so they they played in Finsbury Park, and I shot, and I got like ten cameras. So I, I went overboard that time and just like placed all these cameras in completely arbitrary positions. Mm-hmm. Like on sideways on the edge of the stage, and not really. So just occasionally, a foot would come into the shot and out again, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> you can yeah, put it's... that pile of failures. <laughs> well, I think that you love. Um, you, you love to be subversive in a way. You yeah. love that kind of punk spirit to just, you know, turn things on their head. Yeah, absolutely. Make make people view, view things from a different point of view. I mean, that that's the that's the role of the artist mm. is to be able to show people reality. You know, reality isn't what what you think it is. You know, reality can be viewed from a lot of different perspectives and artists know that and that, that's why people should spend more time in art galleries and you know <laughs> yeah yeah i find it interesting because you you work uh, 
you work a lot in the commercial field, um, and a lot of the stuff you're doing is actually meant to to sell something. Um, but then you always kind of sort of subvert that uh, with Max Headroom and with the video you were talking about, also with the Orgy video, and in a way, I guess, also with Super Mario, even though, well, maybe it wasn't intended, but... Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Yeah. It was, it was subversive in, in, in a sense, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the only thing that doesn't really fit into that scheme is DOA. That's kind of a real change of pace for you. Yeah. Um, well, because that was the beginning of our of our um, serious movie making career. Because mm-hmm. you know we were in Hollywood and and we want, we took it seriously. We wanted we wanted to make make films, and that was our that was our first one. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, you know, Super Mario Brothers was going to be this huge action adventure film, you know, as well. You know, even though it had subversive elements and dark elements and, and all the rest of it, it still had all the bright colors and and uh, action and adventure and stuff. And we were hoping to, you know, to make more Hollywood films and bring in that more punk sensibility and more artistic kind of sensibility viewing the world in a different way to you know a, a bigger audience mm-hmm. and if super mario brothers had been a huge hit you'd have probably seen some very interesting films <laughs> absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah even though doa has that one element which i find really funny is that this is a world where Apparently, an original idea is so valuable that people would kill over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the motive, the motive for everything is just that there is a really good manuscript. <laughs> That's true, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it, it, it actually relates to Super Mario Brothers yeah. in, in a strange, surreal way, yes. Yeah. And I wanted it to be black and white, but the studio wouldn't go for it. And the, their compromise was for it to start off in black and white and then do a long fade into color. Because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I love uh, film noir, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I love uh, German expressionist films, and I love those German, um, you know, abstract films of the of the twenties and thirties. You know, really mm-hmm. appealed. Um, Max Ernst and you know all all, all, um, all, all that stuff. Um, so I wanted it to have. I wanted to go back really to that um, German expressionist kind of vibe for DOA because mm-hmm. it, it was based on a film called Looking for My Murderer that was made in Germany in my, in the thirties, um, and then it was remade in America in the fifties. So I wanted to get back to that 30s sort of thing, and that's why I wanted it to be in black and white. I wanted it to be almost an homage to German expressionist cinema. Mm-hmm. But it got watered down and watered down. <laughs> <laughs> well, you made a joke out of it. I mean, the, the, yeah. the moment where Dexter writes color on the blackboard, yeah. then the film <laughs> becomes yeah. colorized. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, there's the subversive spirit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But I think the the color drains out of the movie as it as it goes along, right? It, like it becomes more and more monochrome. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, with digital technology now, you could do a much better job of it. But um, mm -hmm. back then, I had to do it all on film. I think it was the longest fade that they'd ever done. It was like, because, uh, you know, films back then are broken down into reels, so they're more manageable, the transportation. And so you can only do an effect over a reel, which is 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So the fade, you know, I wanted the fade over a longer period, but this, this was the longest that they could do it in the in the lab at Technicolor. So uh, and it it seems so short now when I see it, and it was like such it's such a pain in the neck to do. <laughs> I guess that always happens with you know old technology, and when you you're getting used to what you can do these days. Yeah. I mean, when you did computer graphics back in the days, like for your early music videos, that must have been like really a chore to, oh. you know, program the computer. And, and I mean, they were yeah. so just so slow and so incapable of doing a lot of things. That's right. I can remember you going to digital effects in New York and uh, they were using the downtime from the um, the computers that were crunching the numbers for all the big banks in New York. And uh, at night, there'd be the sort of downtime and they would you and, and it would be like after a whole night of work, there would be like one frame or two frames of animation <laughs> crunched, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a Commodore 64 back then in the 80s. And, you know, I had all kinds of programs that would uh, sort of do the... Um, you know, kind of animations and graphic programs and so on. You would have to let them run overnight. And then, yeah. um, you know, after hours and hours, you would see one little image. Way. And I was fascinated by it. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I, I, did you ever go to SIGGRAPH? No. Yeah, I used to go to SIGGRAPH every year. And uh, now it's a huge thing, as you can imagine. It's like... Um, But but back then it was just a few computer scientists would turn up at this place and would be in this hall and they'd, and they'd, they'd project like a, a, a painted teapot just turning in 360 like that. And everybody would be cheering, they'd be standing up, standing ovation for this teapot that was turning in 3D on the screen <laughs> because the ray tracing, you know, caught the light perfectly and the, the light and the shadows and, you know, mm -hmm. it was, back then it was... It was an incredible achievement. It was amazing. And now... Yeah, I had a couple of demos like that on the on the Commodore 64, just graphic animations that would, you know, sort of show objects or, or yeah. s you know, just something very simple, actually. Um, but you look at it and say, well, how did they do that? Amazing. <laughs> With just 64 kilobytes of RAM. <laughs> yeah. I know. It was incredible. It was incredible. Are you still following the, the technological advances of, of today? Well, yeah. I mean, AI is something of, you know, deep fascination to me. You know, it's, I mean, that's, that's the future of mankind, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's all of our futures. I mean, that's where we're all headed. If we don't, if we don't embrace it, if we don't, if, if we don't become part of it, then it will literally destroy us Terminator style, mm. you know? So we have to become, at one with, with, with the technology. That, that's my position. Mm -hmm. We have to absorb it and become part of it. Otherwise, if, if there's this duality between us and AI, 
I, I know which one's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we have to become at one with it, you know, like we do with everything else. Mm. You know, that's the only way that we can survive as a species. Do you think there ever will be a computer that will do your job, like create a commercial, for example? Well, I've, I've tried to do that. I, in fact, I did a, I did, I, I did this experiment with a with an edit on on a on a music video. I got all the dailies and I coded all the dailies um, that I'd shot, and um, I told the editor to get another music video, a completely arbitrary music video. I don't care what it is, just get it, get and get the code. The editing mm -hmm. code, the, the edit decision list, the EDL, and transpose mine in an arbitrary fashion onto the EDL of this other music video, and that's going to be it. And we just send that to the mm -hmm. send that to the record company, and we did, and it worked. Wow. <laughs> uh, which music video was it? I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to think what it was now. Um, I can't, I can't remember. I think it was for a heavy metal band. It was something I didn't care too much about. But um, yeah, but it it worked. You know, it's uh, it was it was interesting to to see that. You know. Yeah. Even though I guess when you when you do it like this, then the machines will always you know sort of do something that has been done before, and they wouldn't so much try and experiment with stuff. Like you did no. with some have of you the seen videos those where paintings? you think... Have you seen those kind of old master paintings that computers have done? No. They're so bad. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really bad. They basically kind of fed all these paintings, you know, all, all the data of all these paintings, and, the, and then the computer comes up with a painting. Mm. And, and it's painted. And, you know, I think people are actually buying them. But um, no, it, it needs to be. We need to be part of it, you know. Mm -hmm. That's that's what needs to happen. And the more we we separate ourselves, the more we we're separate, the worse it's going to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one 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 more thing I'd like to ask you about um, because there aren't really a, a lot of um, directing teams um, out there. Um, you have a couple of, of siblings like the Cohen brothers or the Wachowskis. Um, right. But really you uh, and Annabelle Jenkel are the only husband and wife team. Um, a, a lot of what you did, um, you did together. Yeah. Um, I think up until the Super Mario uh, film and afterwards you yeah, sort of branched out good. on your own. Yeah. Um, so how did that creative process work with with two minds and um how did you sort of decide on who does what and and well with us it was a unique situation because we we lived together and we did everything together so we were kind of uh, one together um so we never we never really argued and we never really it, 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 just, it was just completely natural it was just natural It was like, you know, like how, you know how like twins have, have a sort of special language mm -hmm. between the two of them in many cases. We, we had that same sort of thing. We could just look at each other and we would laugh because we knew what we were going to say and what the joke was and what the end, you know, before we even spoke anything. So it was, it was like that. 
Uh, it's very unique. It wasn't really like directing with a friend or directing with your brother or directing with, you know, it was more, it was more, it was deep, it was a deeper relationship. Mm-hmm. When you were on set, did you somehow, um, I don't know, like divide, like a little, say, okay, you, you talk to the actors and you talk to the camera or, or something like that. Depending on what it was a little bit, but, you know, but people, people want you to, to be in conflict because it's the, you know, they will, and it, and it never really happened between us, but people would, so, sometimes they would test us deliberately. Like they'd come up to me and say, well, what color do you want this? And I'd say green, they'd go over to Annabelle and say, what color do you want this? You know, deliberately to try and, okay. you know, to try and prove that, you know, directing team doesn't work sort of thing in their mind or whatever it was. But uh, we soon got used to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I would have to, you know, stop stop that happening. But um, no, it was it was a unique period and a unique thing. I can't really describe it other than like twins in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you say, it's unique. Yeah. Like a, a, a lot of the things you've done, it's um, really stands out as something that. Um, there isn't a lot like it out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well film, filmmaking is very conventional, as you probably, you know, through your studies of films. They're, 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 and, and you have to follow, well, you don't have to, but there is a need to follow certain film conventions. Otherwise, you know, you kind of lose the audience or the film can't get made because there are all these elements involved that are are all like regimented that it has to proceed in this this kind of way um and any time you can break that down and do it a different way i i think those are going to be interesting films Mm. more experiment you know it's a shame that there aren't more experimental films that have bigger budgets and, and you know because it's such a plastic medium as well you can do anything with film but they but they continue to follow convention which is great when you know when they work like that because we all enjoy that you know mm. same story being told over and over again with the same characters and you know a little bit of a twist here and there but wouldn't it be great to have an explosion of creativity you know especially using cgi you know it's mm. just things that we've never seen before mm. Yeah, I always wish that people would take more risks in films. Um, I mean, I always know, okay, well, there's somebody who who gives you money and they want to make their money back. And I think that as soon as they, okay, that's a risk. Okay, no, we're not going to do that. There's an obsession in Hollywood about storytelling, which I've never, you know, I think it's because storytelling is easy. You know, Mm. it's like, well, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to have a story for two hours you know i mean i i certainly don't want somebody moralizing telling me a story of somebody who did something wrong and they have to pay for it you know i mean it's like what so you know and and as we know there are only a few stories anyway Mm. so once you've exhausted all that i mean how many times can you keep you know I, i want an explosion of 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 ideas and creativity and I want things thrown at me, you know. I want, I want, I want excitement. I want to not know what the next second is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to surprise me, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's the reason why I love movies like Super Mario Brothers. Even, <laughs> even though they, you know, it's a film that has its problems. And it's, yeah. th there are a lot of, of moments where I'm like, okay, well, this doesn't quite work. I'm not so sure about that. But still, it keeps surprising you and it, it keeps, you know, sort of challenging you. And in a way, it's it's sort of, I keep thinking about the movie much longer than um, I do about other movies, which just follow a convention. And I'm like, okay, that was a good movie or that one was boring, maybe. But still, there's not much to think about. There's not much to sort of look at in a way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and it's funny how a lot of lot of these films that I see are so incredibly conventional. You kind of know, don't you? When you see when you 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 see the trailer and you kind of you know you know exactly what's going on and yeah yeah to be surprised. Yeah, oftentimes when you see the trailer, you're like, okay, I've seen the film. I yeah. just I don't need to 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 see that for. Uh, two hours because I've seen the three-minute version of it and I know all the story beats and I know, you know, all kinds of developments that are going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you said that you were working on um, some new stories or some new films that you have something in development. Um, so is there yeah. something that we can uh, look forward to? Because Annabelle just uh, made a new yeah, film. Just made a film, yeah, yeah. Her first, her first theatrical feature since Super Mario Brothers. So, it's like, great. Um, I'm really pleased for her. It's fantastic. Um, I'm working on something at the moment about uh, Malcolm McLaren, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I wanted to do Malcolm McLaren's story, and uh, but I want to tell the story of. Um, you know, because uh, he's similar sort of age to me. Um, well, he was, I mean, he's dead now, but um, of a sort of a view of of my country, of England, mm -hmm. as a character within within the film. So it's it's Malcolm's story, and it's obviously going to be the Sex Pistols in there, and and uh, Vivian Westwood, and everybody else, and you know, the later, you know, when he came to Hollywood and all the rest of it. But also, want it to be about what really is the character of England? What's what's England's character? You know, why mm -hmm. why the English? You know, the way they are, <laughs> and, a, and a film that really explores a little bit of that as well. You know, as well as as well as Malcolm's story. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Music heavy, yeah, music heavy. I want you know a lot of great music, obviously. Mm -hmm. From from all the music that Malcolm was interested in before the Sex Pistols and then the Sex Pistols, then punk and then post punk and, and Buffalo Girls and then you know world music that he was interested in and the whole thing you know so so the music is mm -hmm. going to be sensational. Mm -hmm. Wow! So how far along are you in the development process? Well, I'm working with a writer at the moment, and uh, you know we're just developing it. Mm -hmm. I, I you know I, I, I don't want to get. I don't want to get a studio involved to develop it because I'll just ruin it. You know, I, I want to develop it myself, even get an actor attached to it, you know, and mm -hmm. then, then get, you know, so, so the film is already kind of made really. So they can't tamper with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, if you get a studio involved, they probably tell you, well, why don't you get some BG songs in there too? Because they were really popular at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although that would be good. I like the Bee Gees. 
good counsel. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds amazing. So hopefully um, we'll see that soon. Yeah, hopefully. We'll see. <laughs> okay, so well, that's about it. Um, okay, good talking with you. Yeah, well, it's been an amazing chat. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear your uh, your thoughts on that. And um, thank you for you know revisiting so much of your career uh, in, in, in this podcast. So, yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Great. And, well, have a nice day. Bye-bye.